Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning, traders and investors. Are you guys ready for another pre-market prep? Everything you need to get your trading morning started. Let's get into today's topic. We'll talk, of course, about the recent drop that we just got yesterday. Nord Stream 1 shut down for maintenance. Triple BY late to the shelf offering and securing a $375 million loan. We'll look at a big day today in oil data. We'll see what happens in the EIA crude oil inventories. CrowdStrike earnings, Chewy, ChargePoint, HP. We also got, of course, some housing recession that is going on out there. The talk is going of course, uh, today we got the 30-year fixed rate mortgages, and we'll take a look at our special guest, of course. We got Michael Houston, Chief Market Analyst at CMC Markets. Let's dive into pre-market prep and get our trading day started. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, traders. Let's go ahead. Let's get it started. Let's bring on Joel Conan, Dennis Dick, and let's talk about the markets. Good morning. Good morning. Here, let's uh, let's share the charts here on this wacky Wednesday. Uh, we are trading in the green, uh, right at four thousand. What a nice number. Let me get the uh, let me get the charts up here for you. Uh, pre market high. We got up to forty eighteen and a quarter. Not much up there. Had a little decline to thirty nine seventy nine and a quarter. Uh, back up. Let's just call it the battle for four thousand today, and uh, up thirteen handles right now. Uh, crude, what a reversal uh, over the last two sessions, down two forty nine at eighty nine fifteen. Uh, gold slipping again, closer to seventeen hundred, down eleven fifty, seventeen twenty four fifty. Silver officially under eighteen, down thirty nine cents at seventeen eighty nine. Bitcoin clinging to twenty k. Up 470 at 20,240. Ethereum futures, they're up $56 at 1584. 
Uh, Triple D, uh, kind of, kind of a, I don't know what the best way, kind of a squirrely market this morning, you know? Squirrely might be a good word for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Coming been up. kind of just chopping around here all morning. Not crazy volatile. I mean, we're in the dog days of August, so volatility is going to be, you know, but, but it can go either way. Some of these days can go because liquidity is always lower. So if you really get, you know, some news, market moving news, the market can really move quickly. But I mean, you're in a, and this is the big week of holidays for traders. You know that, you know, the kids are going back to school next week. So this is the week that traders are taking off. And that's why sometimes you see, oh, there's nothing going on. But if there is news, that can really be market moving for the simple reason. It's just not the liquidity out there to buffer the move. Yeah, Jay Woods uh, mentioned that yesterday, and uh, we are now three days, you know, uh, three days left in the week, and then we got the three-day weekend. Uh, just broad market perspective, I mean, we, we hit our first objective on the downside yesterday, right? We were talking about the 50% retracement of that nice rally that we've had from 36.39 over to 4,300, came down right here, uh, I believe, uh, for the S&Ps, the exact numbers, 83 and a quarter. We took it out by a nice market. Margin yesterday, I'm holding it today. So I guess today would just be we're not going to have an ins. Uh, well, we're still working on an inside day. It could just be a in couple inside days and maybe some fireworks on Friday. Uh, but uh, important for the market to stabilize here, or for else sure. uh, the, the the people that are looking for like that you know the knockout punch. Uh, this is it. This is uh, holding 4K over the next couple of days. You know, just uh, overall market talk though here. There's, it's heavy. It feels heavy going into September. Maybe we're going to get a reversal, but it still feels like rallies are to be sold. Just like we said yesterday, we had a nice rally in the morning. It quickly got sold here again. So you can feel the heaviness of this market, and it makes sense. I mean, this market, you know, for the most part has, you know, kind of, you know, been following, you know, but we had that wicked rally in July and August. It just simply overshot to the upside. You know, stocks got oversold in June. Came back with a nice retracement over the 50% retracement, which was a gift in hindsight. And obviously, you know, we said it on the show multiple times, so it wasn't even in hindsight that it was a gift. So where we go from here is tougher to predict. It's obviously going to depend on, one, what's the next CPI number look like? Two, what's the situation with China? I mean, obviously, a little bit of escalation yesterday, which we didn't talk about here yet. Um, between China and Taiwan and obviously, you know, other things, you know, that's threatening to shoot down a Starlink satellite. And, you know, there's a lot of politics happening here. And, 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 and this is obviously a wild card here, too. So lots of unknowns. You know, the market has liked to climb that wall of worry. And I'd like to build this bull case scenario that, yeah, you know, you can make it to new highs by the end of the year. But I don't see it whatsoever. I actually see this market potentially even retesting the lows in September. Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely uh, you saw the shakeup yesterday with the drone news. And I think, you know, comments like this is and I was I got this on CNBC's closing bell comments like we think we're close to the end of the rate hiking cycle, but certainly depends on a lot of things. Uh, this came from Brenda Vangelio, uh, chief investment officer at Sand Hill Global Advisors. And comments like this is what I think is really catching investors starting to lean to the bullish side but yet have we have we even seen a hint of the end of the rate hiking cycle no. i just feel like it's people just trying and trying to be optimistic to the bullish side that we're going to flip and flip and flip but 
That's not what the Fed is telling you. And we have an obligation. I mean, they have an obligation, not us on this show, which is why we can, you know, maybe we talk more bearish than other shows. But, you know, to your point yesterday, I mean, for Kramer, he, they don't want to, people don't want to hear, you know, are you coming in here and on CNBC, they don't want to hear that, you know, the market's going to go down. They don't want to hear that their investment dollars are going to go down. Every money manager comes on CNBC almost has an obligation to be bullish because they're holding other people's money. I mean, imagine, you know, you see your money manager come on CNBC and they talk all bearish about a bunch of stocks and you're like, well, I not, don't I own all these stocks? So, I mean, they've got to talk their book to a certain extent. The majority of money managers are always long. So they're always talking bullish. That's why it's just talking heads and, you know, it's kind of meaningless here. On this show, we're traders, we're real traders. And obviously, you know, we're trying to, you know, to get, you know, a feel for the markets, a feel for the turns. And, you know, we have no vested interest. I don't have any investors. I don't run any money. I run my own money. So I'm just telling you how I feel and what I'm doing. And we're trying to give you different ideas for that. So, but, you know, to, to that point, it's, you know, when you get the general talk on CNBC, you're like, ah, it's still pretty bullish. People are still pretty bullish. Well, they have an obligation to be, even if they're not bullish. All right. Now, of course, now we're starting to get more macro talk of, of course, energy concerns. Let's talk about Nord Stream 1 shutdown for maintenance. Uh, now the question, will would it come back online? Will Russia continue to use energy as a weapon of war? That's what we're thinking about now, and it's the concerns that are really going on, especially in Europe. Gazprom has previously said that the gas transmission would resume at a rate of 33 million cubic meters per day. This is why I'm giving you this number is to watch out. Of course, once it comes back online, we need to see how much this is going to come back online. Remember, Russia already played this game. When Nord Stream 1 pipeline came back online just a few weeks ago, it was operating at 20% of the agreed upon volume. So this is why I'm going to be watching today natural gas. Full disclosure, I am long on UNG, a uh, little swing trade. It was a day trade turned into a swing trade. So we'll see what happens today. So let's get into the individual stories. Every show we seem to start with Bed Bath and Beyond, and it's the story of the day again. I mean, the stock is up twenty percent or down twenty percent every single day. Yesterday morning, this thing hits fifteen, fifteen, just a quiet fifty percent cut, Joel, in the price. I mean, almost fifty percent. Like you're you're talking. If you get down here just a little bit further, it will be in in two days, not even in twenty four hours. I mean, this stock is just wild. I guess it's a nice trading vehicle, but you got to be careful in this thing. And here, what's the news here, Mitch? Sounds like a little bit of dilution. All right. So Triple B, why? Late to the shelf offering and securing a $375 million loan. It's dropping fast in the pre-market. They stated that we may offer, issue, and sell shares of her common stock from time to time, the company said in a filing uh, Wednesday. And they also reported that they secured a $375 million loan. Also here, the company is planning layoffs and store closures to cut costs. The loan is part of more than 500 million of new financing, which includes an expanded 1.13 billion asset back revolving credit facility. Um, I, I don't even know what to yet. say yeah, about this stock I... anymore. Like it's, it's <laughs> obviously, you know, it's got its following. There's people zika, who believe zika, zika. there's people on social media who want to turn this company around. This company, you know, is not firing on all cylinders. They're doing everything wrong. Why they didn't do an offering when the thing was blasting off into orbit. They should be ready on that stuff. I mean, AMC 
credit to you know credit obviously to Aaron there because you know they sold that thing jammed right it down jammed it down the stroke yeah so ceo yeah. adam aaron is obviously you know all over it and you know bed bath and beyond management has not been all over it i mean they're literally late to the party you know cohen selling all of his position was all over it i mean bed bath and beyond now you know you come in here very late to the party so they're they could have raised money at a lot you know a lot cheaper price there about two and a half weeks ago with the stock popping like it was and now, you know, they're raising it and, and they obviously need to do it. But this story here just feels like it's not going to have a happy ending. Mitch, you bailed me out yesterday when we were talking about this and you went to the next stock. So I, I can't give you technicals on this because <laughs> there's new headline come every day. Joe. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah I can't. Um, and and this know. is what, you know, I always say too. you know, technicals work very well in the absence of news. But when you have news, that dictates your next direction. And then you can look to technicals for levels on where the news might take it. But, you know, when you have news, this is why a lot of technical traders avoid the earnings reports. When you have headline risk like you do in Bed Bath & Beyond, it's hard to trade it technically. Great, great example there, Dennis, with the earning reports. Uh, that's why I'll tell you right now, as a technical analyst, and I look at it a lot, I avoid earnings. Uh, let's keep to. going. Let's because get it's towards... a it's a, cra- it's a crap shoot. I mean, you can get a feel, and sometimes you know you can get a feel that expectations are really low, so there's a low bar, so they likely get over that low bar. But even in some cases, they don't get over the low bar. So you know, it, it is all about expectations to a certain extent. So, and uh, then they anyways. throw. I mean, sometimes good earnings. I mean, I think uh, didn't Chewy have got good earnings but bad guidance? I mean. The you guidance know, always trumps it all. So if you yeah. just want a quick lesson, you know, obviously headline risk and earnings, but you know, it's always, it was always revenue. You know, before 2022, we were always looking at the revenue number and the earnings didn't matter as much, but 2022 became the the year of show me the money and the companies that didn't make revenue, they or they didn't make money, they punished them. So then it was bottom line. So it used to be top line that mattered more. In 2022, the bottom line matters more, but guidance trumps all. Guidance always has trumped all. So when you see, you know, a beat beat, but a lower guidance, stock's probably all them down. Yep. That's, uh, and the algos, you know, react and married, like, you know, taking this thing up to, you know, th- over 38 bucks and then boom, uh, slamming it. But you want to do the Chewy report since. Uh, Let's do it. Let's take into, into the numbers. All right. So Chewy report coming in here at an EPS of five cents, beating the loss of 11 cent estimate. Q2 sales at 2.43 billion missing the 2.48 billion estimate. Chewy slides after warning that customers are pulling back on spending. I don't know. <laughs> it's online dog food store like feels, you know, and we had a, a, a very impressive run from May to August, it doubled in price. And you can say, looking back, you know, well, yeah, it's still significant off the all-time highs. We know no, none of these stocks made these all-time highs in 2021 had any business being up there in the first place. I think it was a good opportunity. You do have some support here, but it's down at 30, three points lower than here, Joel, is what I was looking yeah. at. That's kind of where you broke out from June. I, I, does the buy the dip mentality, you know, cause the stock to bounce back here today? I'm not sure. It seems like the dips are getting bought a little bit, but then there's just more sellers overhead. So tough stock to call here 3260 uh you hit that on the initial headline and then you came there again you went to 3254 so someone's being patient at that level they're not they're certainly not not chasing it so uh keep an eye if it comes back down to that area 
only one, ah, really no, no daily lows uh, to uh, to confirm that as being the level. So if it takes that out, you're looking for more on the downside. Uh, the $31 area uh, has a pair of lows from early June. Uh, just the one thing that, uh, uh, watch out here, Dennis, on the offers. We're just getting a, a nice Yeah, we're, we're bouncing up here a little bit here. Right now, uh, right now yeah, at ADP, yeah, with ADP August. ADP. Uh, yeah, yeah, ADP payrolls. Uh, we could go to that in a second. I was just going to say, uh, one thing that's concerning me now is like the inconsistency in the earnings, right? Like they beat last time, right? Bye, 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 bye. Now, you know, now they, well, they beat again, but they're lowering the guidance. So you're really seeing, you're not seeing consistent earning patterns, right? Just like, okay, yeah, we're doing, a, we're going up, we're doing better, we're doing better. It's more up, down, up, down. And that, that doesn't bode well. But uh, ADP August payrolls up 132K. Were they uh, expecting, uh, what were they expecting, Mitch? Estimate was 288,000. And so there you guys see it here. I'll give you guys a change there. June 132 versus 288,000 there. So uh, definitely something to keep on watch. We'll see if the market actually reacts on this. So bad news is good news. Huh. Honestly, I, I think it's just kind of a more of a matter. Everybody's looking forward to just inflation numbers and the Fed. I don't. I think that the jobs that. number is just going to be that. something that we just look at to tell us a little bit about recession and when potentially the Fed could flip. But right now, the jobs numbers are just still pointing to a strong labor the, market. This and and this is what you know everybody cares about is obviously inflation. All these other numbers are just a sideshow until you get the big number there again. Do we have a date on the release of the? It would be the August report. It's obviously coming in September. CPI. Do we have a date yes, on that it's yet? It's going to be the thirteenth. It's the thirteenth again. September. Is it always the thirteenth? Mm, it usually falls right in that there. second week. So it depends. You know, two sometimes weeks. you get like the fifteenth or something like that. It's like but two yeah, weeks from the thirteenth. And two then of course on the. It's going to be the 21st, we'll get an FO, FOMC meeting, and right? And so a week after that, yeah. we, we get the FOMC meeting, which is important, right? Because at least we get another CPI reading before the Fed makes their decision. If they're going to go 75, they're going to go 50, 25. They're, they're, I don't think they're going 50. I think they're going at least 75. Yeah, that's the whole That'd thing. Be massive, that, uh, I massive. You, I mean, I remember when I first mentioned three quarters of a of a interest rate hike. Right, people were looked at me insane. And now Goldman we're going to do thinks the third? fifty and then twenty five and then done. I don't know what they're thinking though. It seems crazy to me. Yeah, so this, this is, is not over. We are not over. And you know, I was talking with my friend Jeff there last night, real estate agent in the area, and you know, he can kind of get a feel for you know what's happening in that market and. He's like, stuff is still, certain stuff is still actually pretty hot. And he's like, I would thought it would have come in by now, but it hasn't. So, you know, what he's feeling is, you know, yeah, prices have come in on certain things, but other things like new builds, he's like, that stuff is still hot. So, you know, he hasn't seen it cool off that much yet. And that's kind of concerning because this is the Fed's plan. The Fed's plan is to cool off demand. And, you know, in the housing, he's like, I'm not totally seeing it that much yet. And, you know, even in business, like, you know, I'm asking, I'm still on my build and stuff. My people are still busy. Can't get them here to, tomorrow to do something. Like my roofer had a little fix to do. It took two months for them to get here. They're that busy. So I'm like, it's crazy. Like you think about where we were and where we are now. Um, it's still busy out there. So if you're still seeing this excess demand everywhere there, how much is, you know, inflation really going to come in? I mean, when you've got people waiting, you know, they're going to pay. 
And then you go and you start thinking, well, if inflation isn't cooling off here, if this number, if for whatever reason, this August number, which will be reported on September 13th, does not, you know, it it starts to tick up higher again, to your point yesterday, Mitch, this market is going to implode. So, because that means the Fed is going to be full on hawkish. I mean, this is a difficult situation for the markets. When you're adding it all up, the inflation is so high. The Tina trade is fully gone. I mean, there's just no reason to be fully invested here. None, in my opinion. We'll see what's going on. Let's get to CrowdStrike here. Q2 EPS coming in here at 36 cents. Let me put it up here. 36 cents beating the 27 cent estimate sales at 535.2 million, beating the 515.42 million estimate. CrowdStrike pretty much coming in line they raised some of their q3 adjusted eps there at 30 cents on the low end to 32 cents on the high end versus the 28 cent estimate and then when you take a look at their sales they're kind of still in line uh there and then their full year 23 adjusted eps coming in here a little bit higher at 131 on the low end to 133 on the high end versus 120 estimate Big up, big down, uh, spike up, spike down. Uh, what I what I like to do when you know you see that kind of price action, and just go to the to the range from yesterday, and uh, I think you still got to respect ninety eight fourteen. I think we gave you one ninety eight yesterday, so uh, right there that splits the highs of the last two sessions, and then also the lows from the last two sessions were right around one ninety. Um, you exceeded that going to one eighty eight, so sticking with the parameters, supported the close ninety three thirty. Clears 198, well, you know, you're going to have some fun. Maybe get over 200 to 203. But uh, using yesterday's range as uh, parameters. So Cybersecurity is the one area that has held up well. Cybersecurity is the one area that is needed. So I just don't think, like, this story, you know, is going to go ice cold. And, you know, the valuations have always been the reason I'm not in a lot of these stocks. But with that being said, they've held up very well. And, you know, we get a new hack, it seems like, every day. So cybersecurity stocks are just needed in this new world. I mean, we're digitally connected. There's hacks all over the place. It's just a different environment. So it makes you think, like, you do want to own some of these stocks. But, you know, somebody was saying, oh, have a diversified portfolio. But then you start looking at valuation, and you're like, oh, do I really want to pay these valuations? And maybe you do. But I think people learn the hard way that valuation does matter, you know, in 20 years past. It does. So can they grow into these valuations? Maybe is Palo Alto best of breed? Probably. You know, is there a lot of these companies, you know, Sentinel One, CrowdStrike, Zscaler. I mean, there's a pile of them out there, but they're Palo Alto's hanging out at the top still. They they are, Mitch. They've held up really. Sentinel One is one that hasn't. It's down near the lows, and maybe it was just too extreme a valuation. But PANW to Kramer's, you know, point here too, we give him a lot of heat, but he's called this one right overall long term. He's been bullish of stock for a long time, and here he's sitting not that far from all-time highs. That Solar and cybersecurity—that's the two Penning sectors out, that have held up well. The in future, twenty-two. <laughs> the I, I future. Guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, those 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 stocks held up yesterday. EMPH. I mean, it was closing a little bit off. First Solar definitely held up more than the rest of them. But First Solar something... made a new all-time high, did it not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, or not, what, what, to your point, Joel, hit 300. I keep saying yeah, that. Yeah, so that was great. Yeah. Enough. 
When when yeah. did it do the three hundred for a solo? Uh, I believe that was in two thousand eight. You know, when we go back, back to before the financial yeah, crisis. There. So the if you go back far enough, you go to the ten year chart. It's like, all time high. Not so fast mm-hmm. because people were paying crazy prices back further. So there you go. Right there. Three hundred dollars in two thousand eight. So we've still been on trying to come on the comeback trail for a long time here. One hundred twenty four looks pretty good if you bought it a month ago though. You know who I think, uh, man, was Gordon at it back then? Because uh, has he been around that long since 2008? Because I thought, uh, I thought, I can't I remember. Because I remember, I have to dust off Gordo. We haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, but uh, anyways, yeah, there was a weird candle in that first solar yesterday. So I'd be a little careful. Made a new high for the move and then uh, backed off. So, uh, you know, make sure you don't go red today um, in this first solar after that, uh, after that nice move, but really pulled back for the sellers really came in and uh, sold the news on that one. That PNAW, I mean, it's just hovering, right? And then someone mentioned they have a split coming up, but uh, you got to stick with it until it, you know, it starts to get into this gap area. That's way down at 552. So that's what I'm looking at in PANW. Spoons, right? This 4,000 is like a magnet here, Dennis. This could be your, 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 your magnet trade today, you know, just coming back to 4K in the S&Ps. That little pop was faded off the ADP number. Let's go towards the charge, the charge point holdings. Let's take a look at that stock today. Um, Of course, this one has been moving after the Inflation Reduction Act. Let's take a look at charge point holding EPS at a loss of 28 cents down from 13 cents a year over year. Sales at 108 0.29 0.29 million beating the 103.97 estimate charge point sees q3 revenue at 125 to 135 million versus the 130 million and sees full year 23 revenue at 450 million to 500 million versus the 476.47 million estimate so raising that full year 23 revenue guidance outlook huge resistance at 16. I know we mentioned this last couple That's days. the number that comes out. That's the head and shoulders formation. The right shoulder is at 16. It needs to get above that right shoulder Look to break that formation. Look at us, technical analysts. <laughs> the head it. and shoulders. <laughs> this is, I always have to enjoy when Dennis brings up technicals, you know. <laughs> the simple ones. There you go. And 14 head, on the downside. shoulders, cop yeah. and handle, death cross. You we know what's interesting this. here? This stock has the 50 at the support and the 200 at the resistance. So 200s at 1587, but the 50s at 1461. So it's kind of interesting here. It's in between the the moving averages. So what does that show you at least? Moving averages. Is that the price? Moving averages, they move a lot. The price consolidation here in this area just shows you that there's definitely some volume profile that you should watch here. It's a, a lot of the pricing in the buying is going right into between these areas, 16 and 14. Will it get above 16 or below 14? Like you guys call that. Channelingstocks.com. We'll see what happens in ChargePoint. Let's keep going. Let's go towards the next one up. Trying to run through all these headlines and get yeah, through girl. them today and save a little bit of ticker time for you guys sure. out there. So hit the like, guys. If you guys want some ticker time, let me see those likes get up today. All right, let's get towards 
uh hp now let's take a look hp uh q3 eps at a dollar for inline sales at 14.7 billion missing the 15.7 billion estimate lowering full year guidance hpc's q4 eps at 79 cents on the low end high side 89 cents versus the dollar six estimate so lowering the guidance there on q4 eps Full year 22 EPS at $4.02 to a high end of $4.12 versus the $4.30 estimate. So also lowering the full year 22 EPS. This had a huge bump from work from home. And if we start to get to a trend, you know, we have Goldman Sachs, you know, announcing yesterday that they're lifting all COVID protocols and they order the staff to return to the office full time. I mean, if you start seeing other companies do that, you know, where they're going to start ordering their staff to go back full time. You don't need that, you know, brand new home computer anymore. So, I mean, we had a huge bump because everybody working from the office that came home, all had to buy computers, obviously, you know, all PCs for at home. And that's why Dell and HPQ, huge lifts as, you know, 2021 coming up, up, up. Now it's back to reality. And I don't know if the demand's going to be there going forward unless everybody is eventually going to work from home. I think a lot of people who are going to work from home have already made that switch, though. So what's the next driver for the PC market? That's what you've got to ask yourself if you're paying. You say, oh, it's cheap. Yeah, it's nine times earnings or whatever it is. I mean, yeah, but are those earnings inflated to a certain extent because we've been in this Goldilocks environment where everybody had to buy a PC? So just keep that in mind that, you know, these could be value traps. The one thing you do have working on your side in HPQ is Warren Buffett. And Buffett is already in this. It would not surprise me he, if he bought more. He does like to buy dips as well. It would not surprise me if Buffett bought more. He's not. I don't think he's over 10% on this one, so we won't find out until the 45 days out. Uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if Buffett does buy more. So I'd be prepared on that next 13F filing from Berkshire Hathaway to maybe see an increase in the HPQ position. But that's a ways out. The chat is coming at it saying, well, what if the office need new computers now, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're the other two years old, so now they got to buy them there too. Maybe. Yeah. Good I don't point. Know. Two, two years is not very old. Uh, I can speak to that from uh, from personal. Yeah. Uh, all the Warren uh, buys in this were, were excellent selling opportunities. They um, really were. Yeah. Got, I've got over 40. I can remember those pops in this and uh, just, just doesn't hold. I mean, What's very concerning here is that you are making a new low uh, for the move. Uh, that was uh, previously $30. So now 30 is resistance. So I think until you can get back over 30, I mean, man, there's there's a lot of room. And you're looking at a, at a candle here under 30. There's not much in here. Uh, 26.11 was your next monthly low. So, huh. Old uh, old support now new resistance and you have to let this one shake out for a couple of days uh, trading near the lows of the pre market session. I, right. I could be talked into this, but I think your support's down twenty six to twenty seven. So if you're just playing it off yeah. hard support, that was the twenty twenty one levels there. Maybe let the dust settle. This may be one that just gets bought back too. I mean, from a valuation perspective, it's cheap. I'm just trying to justify that the valuation being cheap is cheap for a reason. And there may be, you know, not the rosy. And I mean, to the to the company's points, both Dell and HPQ, I believe both died down. I mean, Hewlett Packard just did, but I believe Dell did too. If we go back to the report just from a couple of weeks ago on Trusty Benzinga Pro, um, the earnings were oh, fine, yeah, but killed. I do believe they yeah. got it down. 
Yeah. All right, let's go to Hulit Packard. You just mentioned it. Let's take a look. Q3 EPS at 48 cents in line, sales at 7 billion, beating the 6.97 billion estimate. Uh, Now sees Q4 EPS guidance at 52 cents to 60 cents versus the 58 cent estimate. Full year 22 EPS guidance at $1.96 on the low end, $2.04 on the high end. Are you talking HPE now? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It gets confusing. I wish they would have never split these companies I up know. because I... you go Hewlett Packard is like his HP. You, you could just imagine me when I was grabbing the numbers today. I'm like, hold on, in line, in yeah. line. That that makes it even more confusing. Yeah. I kind of ignore HPE. So. I maybe don't give it enough love, but it's a stock that I just don't trade it as much. I still trade the legacy HPQ probably because they kept the ticker symbol. Obviously, you know this is. You know, the not the PC business, but the other business, the services business here. So it hasn't done well either, though. I mean, both these stocks still are kind of tracking each other to a certain extent. Sports down there at 12 and a half bucks, which is your July low. You're not that far away from it. Yeah, and uh, you got a little pop off that uh, off the headline over 14, but uh, looks like you had some buying interest the last couple of days at 13.55, 13.57. You're right there right now. Uh, opens up after that into the uh, lower 13 dollar handle. So here's not more much. trouble. Here's more trouble for the market too. Just broke at 8:30. Thank you, EKS, for uh, letting us know there, and I can see it in the pro. STX uh, just halted. They halted at 8.30, and they just came out with the revenue. Uh, they're cutting guidance, cutting Q1 guidance, STX, from $2.35 billion to $2.65 billion, down to $2 billion to $2.2 billion. That's a serious cut. Um, they're now expecting cool. this and this one. Q1 adjust EPS is now expected to be meaningfully below our pride and get pride of guidance of at least $1.20. So meaning, meaningfully below was their words. Shares are going to resume here at 9 a.m. This is going to hit Western Digital. You can see WDC just collapsed on this. STX obviously hasn't went down yet. It's halted. WDC just fell at buck 44. This is going to hit your chips here, I would imagine. Um, Look at Dennis working in live action here, guys. This is what Dennis does. <laughs> this is hitting the S&P too. Don't, don't kid yourself. We just dropped about four or five handles here. Yeah. This is off of this Good as catch. well um so chips again nvidia is still trying to hold green it was a lot of the chips were way up today so now you get the turn trouble 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 this is what we're coming into is that this demand destruction that everyone was expecting to occur last quarter may actually occur this coming quarter Ouch. Not what we wanted to see here going into the bell. Definitely not, especially if you're looking for a kind of a bounce back. But let's go to our guest today. Let's get out of the markets. Let's talk to our guest and see what he thinks out there. Let's go to Michael Houston, Chief Market Analyst at CMC Market. Welcome back, Michael. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming, I wish I'd used Indeed. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility all at Indeed.com slash P-R-E-P. Just go to Indeed.com slash P-R-E-P right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash P-R-E-P. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Good morning, guys. How are you today? Uh, it's good what? to see you again, you know, ready to talk about the markets. Um, and like always, there's always some uh, shaky news that can always hit you. We just got some shaky news in the markets. So let's see how we can get out of this recent downturn. Yeah, you good morning, on? Michael. Uh, thanks for joining us uh, morning, from uh, across the pond. Uh, and I guess it's, uh, I guess we're looking pretty far back, uh, you know, last Friday, just uh uh, Powell's comments and Jackson Hole and uh, uh, you know people that are, w- what would you say to people that were expecting rate cuts uh, next year? I think um, they need to smoke something a little less strong, is what I would suggest. Um, you know, you look look at where inflation is. You know, the Fed's got a two percent inflation target, and it's at around about eight and a half percent CPI. It's likely to be an awful lot stickier. And for that reason, I think the Fed is likely to do 75 in September. Um, I think that's pretty much nailed on. I don't think it's 50-50 at all. I think if you're someone like um, Bullard, Esther George, Loretta Mester, or what have you, if you want a Fed funds rate between 3.5-4%, you've only got three more rate meetings this year. And so, therefore, you need to make up at least one5 um, one and a half percent, hundred, you know, hundred and fifty basis points. How are you going to do that? Unless you front load, and September is as good a time as any, um, which only leaves you November and December to do the remaining um, seventy-five basis points. So for me, I think, you know, if if you're looking at a Fed funds rate between three and a half or four percent, you've got to at least do one seventy-five um, between now and the end of the year. So for me, I think that's where the risk lies. And then they're likely to stay where they are for quite some time. So let's, uh, everyone wants to talk about uh, your energy bill. And uh, you saw a 54% rise in gas electric prices in April. And uh, and you said you have another 80% increase coming in October. That's that correct. 80 is that 80 on top of the 54 or yes. is that a cumulative number no it's not a cumulative number it's um 54 in april and then another 80 percent on top of that 54 so if you say for example your energy bill was say two thousand pounds a year pre-april you're now looking potentially at four and a half five thousand pounds um a year in October, with the potential that it could go even higher in January. Um, and, you know, not for nothing is the pound down at its lowest levels since 2020. You know, and I think 
that's one of the reasons why I think we're looking down the barrel, staring down the barrel of a recession, I think, here in the UK. Because, you know, if you're paying 25 to 30% of your monthly income towards energy, you don't have an awful lot left if you're having to pay rent costs or mortgage costs or anything else. So how are um, people dealing with it? I mean, you know, not. Are they, it, they're not. They're, they're not. not. No, I mean, there's an awful lot of concern at the moment, particularly among businesses who aren't sheltered to some extent. I mean, this is this is an energy price cap, you know, and, and the big concern here, Joel, is that while consumers may be protected from the majority of what we're seeing with respect to energy prices, business aren't, businesses aren't. They're paying full whack. Um, and they've only just come back on having to pay full rates of VAT and full business rates after all those pandemic measures were dropped um, at the beginning of April. So we are faced with a very real prospect of mass business failures in Q4 of this year and a big jump in unemployment unless the government steps in and does something. Any positives? Can you give us any positives? You're not making me feel more confident. I think I feel, well, you know, I mean, basically, you guys are in much better shape than we are. Your natural gas prices are so much lower, um, gen generally because of the fact that you guys had the foresight to go down the fracking route, which means that you have a much better supply chains and obviously, you know, or, or supply. So you're paying a slightly different natural gas rate than we are. On the plus side, you know, we've had City, we've had Citibank saying that inflation here in the UK could at 18% by January. Goldman Sachs have come out and trumped them and said 22%. Oh. But of course, all of that supposes the government does nothing. Now, next week, we will finally get a new prime minister because at the moment, our current government has been preoccupied by, by a leadership contest to replace Boris Johnson as prime minister. Hopefully the new prime minister who will take seat on the 5th of September will bring in a whole series of measures that will mitigate the worst effects of that. Of course, the downside to that is that if you try and mitigate some of that supply shock, what, what will happen is that will in effect be inflationary and force the Bank of England to be more aggressive on rate hikes. But ultimately, central banks are in a no-win scenario. They can sit on the sidelines and do nothing and let inflation do its worst, or they can try and get out in front of it, squeeze inflation out of the system with a view to cutting rates in 2024. And I certainly think that's what the Federal Reserve will start looking at doing mid-2024. I think 2023, I think it's off the table unless we get a significant plunge in inflation, like a, deep, a recession or a depression, because I can't see how inflation is going to fall at the rate that it would need to, to even consider rate cuts. I mean, yeah. I, I, could, I could be wrong. Well, Michael, the bigger problem here is, too, you've got labor inflation mm. now. It was one thing to have, you know, you know, material inflation, but the labor inflation is way more sticky. People don't want to take wage cuts. And now people are, like, still playing the catch-up game. It's like, well, I need a raise. And you know, I was talking to another friend. They're like, well, normally we give 2 to 3% raises. The employees are asking for 10 15% mm. raises. It's not like, you know, they're like, well, I can see the CPI kicking at eight or in your case, maybe 18. It's like, I'm not going to take a two, 3% raise. I'll quit. And then the labor shortage comes in and they're like, okay, well, we got to pay it. 
So as you raise wages, now labor costs go up. That's input costs into you know whatever you're producing, which drives the spiral even further. So how do you break it? You know, you're absolutely right. I mean, the JOLTS numbers bear that out. Yesterday, 11.2 million vacancies. Um, here in the UK, we've got similar problems. We've got the unions basically pulling out, you know, going on strike on public transport. The Royal Mail has gone out on strike as well. But, you know, they want 10 or 15 percent. And while unemployment is low and the labour market is tight, that's all well and good. The problem with that is, is at some point, the unemployment rate will suddenly start to unhinge from the lows that it is at the moment. In the US, you guys aren't there yet. That The ADP report that we saw today saw annual wage growth of 7.6% if you stay in your job and 16.2% if you move. So there's certainly inflation in the ADP numbers, the private sector numbers, if you drill down into the detail, which I just did before I came on to the show. But what we are seeing is a big jump in um, leisure and hospitality. But financial services jobs has actually been a decline. And obviously you've seen those job cuts announced by Facebook, Google and what have you, and Snap this morning, Bed Bath and beyond. So I'm wondering if this is starting to be the thin end of the wedge when it comes to the tight labour market. You know, the ADP report doesn't really tell us that much because it's a new methodology. I'll be very interested to see how Friday's jobs report comes out. And in particular, the participation rate, because one of the things that we've seen here in the UK labour market is an awful lot of those people who retired as a result of the pandemic and now being forced back into the workforce because they need more money to pay their bills. So it'll be interesting to see whether that happens in the US. Now, of course, uh, all eyes is on that shutdown today of the maintenance for Nord Stream 1. Do you feel that we're going to go into the worst case scenario with a complete shutoff? Yeah, I do. Not now, because um, I don't think it would be in Putin's interests to do that. What we've seen today is a decline in natural gas prices. They've, they've come off quite a bit in the last couple of days. But I think, you know, Putin, he's proven himself to be a fairly shrewd operator when it comes to using, you know, Nord Stream and gas supply for his own political ends. And I think even if Europe does able, is, is able to get its storage capacity up to 85, 90%, will that really insulate them if he decides to cut off Nord Stream 1 completely? I'm not convinced. So, you know, the things in Europe are looking pretty bleak. You look at PPI in Italy this morning, it's 46% year on year. You know, in July alone, it rose 6%. So that suggests to me that the ECB has got a tough balancing act when it meets next week. If they do raise by 75 basis points, which I suspect they might, how are they going to anchor the yield curve or, or Italian bond yields below 4%? and run the risk of significant fragmentation within the euro area. That's going to be their biggest problem. So it doesn't seem like you're real confident that the lows are in in the U.S. markets, that June low. And then I'm, I'm looking at the uh, at the um, EWU here. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a little bit less of a mover. So... I mean, that that's the real test. I mean, we, yeah. you know, if we go back down there, I was like looking for a test in the low. I'm, I'm afraid if we go down there, it ain't going to be no test. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to take it out. I, I don't, I want the longer we can stay away from those mm. lows. What, what's your take on that, Michael? My take on it, Joel, is it depends what energy prices do. 
Um, you know, I think you really need a crystal ball for that. I think if energy prices start to come down and inflation starts to um, come down a little bit, then I think it's quite possible that we can stay above the lows. But, you know, the US is not an island. And I think if the rest of the world goes into a, a recession, then it's going to be very difficult for US companies to maintain their earnings growth projections for Q4. You've only got to look at what's happening in China. You know, anyone who thinks that there's going to be a rebound in the Chinese economy when the Chinese government is still running a zero COVID policy, I think, you know, is, is really living in cloud cuckoo land. It's really not going to happen. So with what's happening here in Europe and obviously Russian natural gas or whatever it is, China, you know, where, where's the growth going to come from overseas for international US, US stocks? Because I don't think it's going to come in China. You may get a bit of a recovery, but you're certainly not what I you're certainly not going to get what I would call escape velocity. And I think that for me is going to be the key when it comes to whether or not we can continue to move higher. Um, we're still very much in an uptrend when it comes to off the lows. You can draw a line through the lows from June for the Nasdaq and the S&P. But if we break below that trend line, then it's quite likely we could retest the lows. But for the moment, I would argue we could go either way. We're in no man's land. Everything depends on what energy prices do. Right. I think they, that's why you see this clear relationship, at least what the equity market says of late, uh, between energy prices. When energy prices are going down, the equity markets seem to get a lift. And it's not surprising even today we're seeing oil down and equity markets are getting a little bit of a lift. So, I mean, this clear inverse correlation has been there. Even if you look from June, energy prices topped in June. And it's not a coincidence that that is when the S&P was making its lows and has went straight up. It's a clear inverse relationship there right now. And that's because energy prices are driving the bus. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're hitting the nail on the head, sir. Just, uh, just from a historical perspective um, on the crude oil market, you know, where it's traded at over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, we had that, you know, what would you say to, you know, the person that said, okay, well, it wasn't negative six or negative 40. That was a one-time day. We, we kind of talk about 10 bucks. There was that area where it traded eight to 10 bucks, 12 bucks for a little bit of period of time before for it took off. Well, obviously, with the world at a standstill, we're extremely undervalued. What would you say to the person that says, man, at 120, I mean, it's just the flip side, right, of extremely overvalued. And maybe this, like, the way we're transitioning or trying to transition away from fossil fuels, maybe the true value of crude is like $60, $70 or, you know, I think a Citigroup analyst said 80. Um, do you think just like the macro things are just so different now that you don't you don't take into the you know historical uh, uh, perspective on crude oil prices? I think I think we're in unique circumstances here at the moment. Okay. I think everyone's talking about transitioning away from fossil fuels, but that's going to take years. You know, yeah. oil prices and the use of fossil fuels as a driver for the global economy. We're not going anywhere when it comes to that. You know, fossil fuels and oil particularly is not just used for petroleum uh, and for fueling um, public transport, cars and what have you. It's used in everyday objects, um, in clothes, textiles, all of that sort of stuff. 
are you seriously telling me that there's not going to be a significant demand for oil over the course of the next 10, 15, 20 years? Of course there is, unless you really want to go back to the Stone Age. So for me, it's really about um, supply. And I think if OPEC sees oil prices drop anywhere near to $80 a barrel, they're going to cut production. They're already talking about it already. Um, the biggest concern is basically keeping it in that sweet spot between, I would argue, between $85 and $105 a barrel, which basically keeps it in an equilibrium. Above $105, you get demand destruction. Below $85, you're going to get essentially supply cuts by OPEC. So for me, they've got to keep it in a sweet spot. And I think that's what you saw um, earlier this week when the Saudi oil minister started talking about the fact that um, the oil's futures market didn't reflect where the oil price should actually be and saw that spike up higher. And it's going to be very much, I think, susceptible to that, particularly now when everyone's trying to transition away towards renewables. Perfectly said there. I think you couldn't have said it better. And I love how you covered both sides there and giving us the range that you see. Thank you coming on today. Michael Houston, Chief Market Analyst, CMC Markets. We'll definitely have you back on. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good one. Take care, I mean, you, st- you still got the backwardation going on in, the, in these uh, crude oil futures, and it's been that way the entire time. So, you know, the, the, the hedgers and the people that are looking farther out, I mean, they're selling. I mean, they're, they're yeah. selling the uh, front, you know, the front months and, and anticipation. So if that, is that flipped, you know, to a contango, then I think it's a different situation. But, um, you know, that's a great, great, great perspective from Michael there. Um, the S- the P- only thing, yeah, go ahead, Donnie. No, no, go ahead. I'll finish I was going to say the only thing, you know, that, you know, the this is, you know, where you get the holes is just this mentality here that, you know, we still, you know, eventually got to make it back to all-time highs. You have a lot of people who have invested in the market for the first time in the last five to six to ten years that have only experienced bull markets. And they're relentlessly buying dips. And they don't care about valuation. And they don't care, you know, all they think is that eventually, even if I'm wrong, eventually I'll get my money back. And you know what? They've been right because we have hit new all-time highs, you know, after a certain period of time, always. So, you know, this is the mentality. It's like, I got to get this money to work. You know, there is a lot of cash still on the sidelines because a lot of people have been, been predicting a recession and obviously positioning themselves for it, myself included. So that is the, the whole and the whole bare thesis is that there's just too much money on the sidelines and eventually it'll just find its way back into the equity markets anyways. All right. Don't miss it, guys. Today, we get an important oil data that's going to be coming right. The EIA crude oil inventory estimate is for a decline here of 1.83 million. Prior was a decline of 3.28 million. So we'll see what happens. If it definitely comes in at a decline further down than that 1.4, closer towards that three, I would definitely uh, expect a spike there in oil. So I'm going to be watching it today. I feel like it's going to be one of the probably the top trades that's watched out today. And I think if you do, I think if you do get a spike, I think people are going to be just laying the offers out there. I mean, look at the move that you had in crude. You can't, you know, stuck. People are stuck on that. Those are two big red ugly candles after you know just a, a total rug pull. I don't know. 
We'll see what happens. I well, I like the Exxon Mobil. I like the I like the setup though. I like the setup here in Exxon Mobil. I like this pullback. I mean, see, see I, I'll take the opposite side, and I don't have any you know technical anal- you know, analysis degree to any means, but you know I've obviously traded for 22 years, so I do have some experience. What I like about seeing that Exxon Mobil chart from a bearish perspective is that they took out the hundred, they suckered people in. That, hey, here's the breakout. We're through the 100 now. This is going back to 105. Let's rah-rah get in there. And then they pulled the rug out from it. So the old Gil Morales breakout, ah, no, fake out. And now we come back off. And now I think 100 is major resistance. And uh, I like it that it cut through it like that. Yeah, they had they cleared out the paper. The paper was there for a couple yep. of days. They yep. took it. Clear it out. Um, selling in the strength, right? Sell when sell when you need to, not when you have to. And now, you know, declining market. But uh, we'll see. I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, it's the big debate. Uh, you know, oil. I, I, it just to me, it's like so so convoluted because if we're having this recession, a recession, we're having this global slowdown, we're having a, like. Are people going to be, you know, and, and Michael made a good point. It's used in other things besides, you know, the transportation and the gasoline. So we'll, we'll find out. We'll get some more, always more in more information uh, coming out. I just, uh, Western Digital, I just was watching that. That that continues to fall. Seagate's reopening at nine. So once again, the you know, the market shrugged it off, right? I mean, at least the S&Ps did. Uh, held 4,000 on the, on the, uh, on that little decline. And and to Spinner's point here in the chat, he's like, I have been wrong on energy for a long time. And, you know, as much as, you know, I've had a pretty good trading year, I've definitely missed the energy boat. So, you know, take my what I say with a grain of salt because I've been wrong on energy for a while. I wish I could be right on everything, guys. But if I was going to be right on everything, I'd have all the money in the world. So Don't worry. That's I wish I could have... be 100% right, but I only got to be 51. And you That's know what? We have... Winners are bigger by the losers. I can be wrong even more than I'm right. And, you know, exactly. for itself. That's why we have more than one trader here, right? I mean, that's the truth. And, um, you know, sometimes Joel's going to get it right. You've seen it. And Dennis and I will get it wrong. And sometimes I might get it right. And that's what it's all about. That's You're what You're never going to be is. right all the time. Never. It's not never. even about being right. It's about, no. you know what trading profitability is about? It's about how you react when you're wrong. It's not about being right. It's about how you react when you're when you're wrong. Because if you are refusing to take a loser, and we've had this, you know, little uh, this little tangent on this show probably a hundred times over the eight years we've been doing this show, but it's so important. What will define you as a successful trader is not how much you're making on your winners; it's how much you're losing on your losers. Because ninety percent of people out there absolutely refuse to take the loss. And mm-hmm. that is why they don't succeed. You've got to cut the losers. You've got to admit when you're wrong. We all do it. We all bag hold to a certain extent. But I'll tell you, my trading account, I never do it. I never do it in my trading account. I'm 100% cash. Like I said, every single day, my account goes 100% cash. Even when the bloody stock gets taken over on me and I'm short. I don't like, oh, hopefully it'll come back down one day. No, you eat the loss and you move on. you got to eat losses in this business. That's what it's all about, and you have to understand. Not that. on Twitter. You always not uh, on Twitter. You don't there's... have to. You don't have to admit losses on Twitter. Well, you don't. I mean, you don't have to admit it, but then you you, you might have to. Be taking them. You might have to admit when you don't have an account anymore. But we won't That's go into that. 
That's Mitch, exactly what happens. It has to happen. It's inevitable. <laughs> if you refuse to take a loser, if you say, I'm never yeah. going to take a loser ever Goodbye. eventually, it will all come back. <laughs> inevitably, your portfolio will end up with all losers in it. You could be right 99% of the time. If you trade long enough, you will still have all losers in your portfolio because you took all the winners. So let's say you put on 100 trades over the course of a year. Well, one of them is a loser and it's it's destined to never come back. And then the next year, another 100 trades. And then there's another one. And now this is an extreme <laughs> example because I'm telling you, it's a lot higher than that. So if you refuse to take losers, inevitably your portfolio will be full of losers and they will just eat your capital away, both your mental and your physical capital. Cut those yep. losers. And I'll tell you one thing. Once you lose that confidence, goodbye to trading because once you lose your confidence, that's that's one of the worst things you can lose as a trader. All right, let's go into stocks out there. Mentioned from the chat, some people are calling out, of course, the Intel. Uh, they want to know about that, uh, the kind of trade. I've seen it mentioned like four or five times. Um, so I'll definitely won't miss that. I know you chat are taking a look at this trade and I just want to kind of, let's, let's bring in the information that I was, uh, brought up on my Twitter here, um, from Intel and AMD, what's going to happen. Um, so right now, as, as it's stated, um, there's rumors for Intel's launch of the Rap Raptor Lake launch. that's going to be coming out on September 27th. Now, of course, AMD tried to one up them. And their chip, their Ryzen 7000 CPU, goes actually on sale on that September 27th. So this is the battle that you'll be seeing at least from the headlines that are going to be coming out in the next two months. So just wanted to put that on your radar. So again, Intel, I did buy some of this yesterday. Bag holding it already. You know I'm early. When I'm that long-term investing account, I'm often early. And, mm -hmm. you know, but I feel like that... There's going to be a turnaround story here one day. Maybe I'm going to be early and maybe it's not going to be. Maybe I'm going to be too early on it. Um, and maybe I should start to wait till the stock starts going down. So again, you know, to my previous rant, if this was in a day trading account, I would cut it because it's making new losers, new, new lows. But, you know, I try to separate and I'm like, okay, I've done fundamental analysis. My long-term investing is almost 100% based on fundamental analysis and my overall thought of the economy. Right now, obviously, I've raised cash, but... You know, I'm to a certain extent, I've still got to own some stocks in that long term. I'm long only in the long term account. People say, why don't you just trade your long term money? Well, because I've got margin, you know, and I've always had bright trading behind me. I didn't need the money. So I'm like, I have money making me day trading. And then hopefully in the long run, you know, investing money makes me money as well. So my money working for me. So, you know, my money works for me in the short term because I'm trading and I've got margin. But I've also got, you know, the long term investment. I'm not looking at that stuff. I'm just kind of, you know, I have investment ideas there. Some of them work, some of them don't. Sometimes I do, you know, lot, take the losses at the end of the year to, you know, knock down my taxes that I'm going to pay. You know, I clean it up you know, to a certain extent at the end of the year. And then sometimes I don't. So, you know, it all depends on how I feel. I feel like Intel's come to a valuation point at $33 where I've got a starter position that I don't know when it's going to turn around, but I think there is the potential for a turnaround here. I might be wrong. We'll All right, I'm just uh, I'm in a hop here. Uh, with just uh, inside day is what we're looking at today. I, I think trade the ranges uh, uh, going into uh, the three day weekend. I see crude getting a little pop here, but uh, this is a battle of four thousand today, and uh, we we got that fifty percent pullback. So be nice to see it. You know, hold that low from yesterday. Maybe put a couple other lows in this area. Make a a little push up. So. 
I'm going to go uh, gonna talk semis with uh, Matt Bryson from uh, Wedbush, uh, Pre-Market Prep Plus, and also cover some symbols we missed. So check in with you later on, Triple D and Mitch. Give these guys some love. Get some thumbs on up for all the information that we got today. And, of course, you guys can check Joel on Pre-Market Prep Plus. Just go to premarketprep.com and sign on up, guys. Dennis, have a great one. We'll see what happens today. Of course, catch that uh, 1030 oil number. We'll see if it shakes up the oil action out there. And, of course, the Triple B saga is probably coming to a close. At least I hope it is uh, for the time being. As we've seen, of course, the loan mentioned and the shelf mentioning. We'll see what happens there. Time to get you guys on over to live trading action. If you guys want to come on over, check out the live trading action. Of course, I've already mentioned it earlier in the show. Um, I got a swing on on UNG. Took some profits yesterday. Another green day. Back into the green. Monday battled from the red. So ready to get right back at it with the boys. Come on over, guys. Give us a thumbs on up. And if you want to see that live trading action, come check it out. See what we got to offer you guys. Let's go ahead. Let's keep it going. I'll see you next time right here on Pre-Market Prep. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.